1: Hey, how are you? This is KYW's Dave Uram. Thank you for tuning in to the KYW Sports Pod and for subscribing. On this date, May 16th, a few notable Philadelphia sports moments happened. In 2001, Allen Iverson showcased his MVP award to Sixers fans before they beat the Raptors in Game 5 of the second round. Iverson had 52 points that night at First Union Center. Sixers won by 33 points. In 2008, on a much smaller stage but certainly impressive display, Jason Wirth at three home runs at Citizens Bank Park and it went over the Blue Jays. And in 1985, game six of the conference finals between the Flyers and Quebec Nordiques, Dave Poulin scored one of the more memorable goals in Flyers history, a breakaway shorthanded tally on a five-on-three penalty kill. Flyers beat Quebec to move on to the Stanley Cup final. I had the chance to chat with Dave and Brad Marsh about Poulin's thrilling goal. I taped my conversation with both of them on May 14th and What You're About. About to hear was part of the larger interviews. First up, former Flyers captain Dave Poulin about that day and everything leading up to it in the 1984. 1984- 85 season. It's a great privilege to speak with former Flyers captain, current TSN analyst, the 1987 Selkie Trophy winner, and number 20 in your program, Dave Poulin. Dave, thank you so much for for joining me and talking about some great moments in Flyers history. Um, Before we get to some specific dates that I want to highlight, I'd like to go over some things that led up to those specific dates and those great seasons in 85 and 87. So let's start with 85. Um, first year without Bobby Clark, you're the captain now, first time you're the captain with the Flyers, Mike Keenan's first season as head coach, such a young team coming off a three straight playoff series losses, all these new uncertain things, all this change. Dave, what were the expectations going into that 85 season?
2: Well, thanks for having me today, Dave. And I think the expectations were unknown. I think that's the easiest way to put it. We'd had, you know, anytime you, you lose a player, like Bobby Clark, the stature of Bobby Clark, what he meant to Philadelphia, what he meant to the organization. Um, it's going to be a time of change and a time of transition. And with Clarkie moving into the management role, you know, I think he thought that if we're making this change, we're really going to make it. And it opened the door for a lot of young kids. And um a website I use a lot, hockey D B, hockey database, mm-hmm. if you go to that team, the eighty four eighty five team Uh, The cool thing about that website is it it prints the year or or the actual age that year that the player was. And you start looking down that roster and, you know, it's amazing. You got a couple of 19-year-olds and Derek Smith and Peter Zasel and you got 20-year-olds and Rick Tockett and Ronnie Sutter and Murray Craven might have just turned 21 and it was just such a young, young group of guys. And even the old guys, and I put that in quotation marks, you know, were 25. It wasn't like they were old. And, you know, we just had a, a unique group that came together probably quicker than anybody would have possibly imagined. And the strength of, you know, a superstar goalie in Pelly Lindbergh. And Marshy put it great one time. He said, you know, Pelly taught us how to win and stole games for us and then we expected to win and then we thought well we're a good team we'll win and and we did and so I think it was really the probably the lack of expectations that enabled us to thrive as much as we did and to say that you know what we're young and we're brash and you still had the Islanders in our division who you know were coming off their great cup run and you had Edmonton on the other side who were about to go on a great cup run had started theirs but For us, it was just about playing, and and we had fun. We were a close-knit group, and, you know, we hung together on and off the ice. And I think, you know, my role as captain, obviously the first thing I thought was, how do you replace Bobby Clark? Well, you don't replace Bobby Clark. You just don't. You follow Bobby Clark. And that took some time with me. We had a rookie coach in Mike Keenan who we learned quickly we'd be battling with on a regular basis, and it was better to battle him on a united front which we did and but i think probably understated is the leadership group in that locker room and it's fashionable now for teams to call them leadership groups but you know to have mark Howe and brad marsh um marshy had been the captain in calgary previously at a young age you had um brad McCrimmon was an enormous leader You had uh, Timmy Kerr, who was a quiet leader. You had Proper in there, who'd been through a lot already with the organization at a young age. And then you had young guys that you didn't know were going to grow into leaders like Ronnie Sutter and Murray Craven and Rick Tockett, but they did. So I think there was a lot of help around me, a lot of support around me, and I never, ever felt isolated. I always felt like I was part of a leadership group. When
1: in that season, Dave, did you realize that despite how young this team was, 10 guys under 22 years old, despite all that, that this team was the real deal? When did it click with you that this team could really make a run?
2: I don't know if there was an exact time. You know, we just kept going. And, and early on, all of a sudden it was Christmas and hey, we were doing pretty well. And and then into January, and I, I don't know if it was a game or, you know, when I talk to Jay Greenberg, who's arguably the great historian, he'll say, do you remember this game or that game? And And I don't remember, you know, a specific game, you know, that I scored in overtime or or something like that, where he'd say that was the trigger, point. I don't remember it like that. And I just remember that we kept going and, you know, and and then we got to the playoffs. We simply kept going. That's what we did. We didn't, uh, we didn't, I think have a, Uh, oh, we've arrived moment, or oh, we've we've made it moment. I think we just kept going.
1: Brad Marsh kind of mentioned that. He kind of mentioned how it was always on to the next. No matter whether it was a win or a loss, it was just always on to the next game. But a game that I, I, I want to take a look at first is that opening game against the Rangers and the opening series because you had come off of different playoff struggles the previous years, many times against the Rangers this game one was at the Spectrum, and Mark Howe had that huge overtime winner. How much do you think that that set the tone for that playoff run to overcome those struggles, finally beat the Rangers in a game, and, and kind of push everything forward?
2: Well, I think that was as much mental as it was physical for us with the Rangers. You know, they'd sit back thirty or forty points behind us, and and you know, be the team that they they made you feel like. Well, we're not concerned about the regular season. We're just a special playoff team. They'd beaten us a couple of times in the playoffs prior to that, and uh, and it was incredibly frustrating to have a great regular season, and then you know a week or ten days in, you'd be done to a team that you thought you were better than. And so I think that first hurdle or stumbling block of getting through the Rangers was enormous for us, and and you know and it seemed like that sort of the, the focus on game one is as simple as we've worked all year and have this great record to have home ice and we play in a spectrum, arguably one of the toughest buildings to go into. And we have such a great home ice advantage. And Oh, by the way, we just coughed it up in 60 minutes. And so to get that first win and get it under a belt and say, Hey, you know, what? this is a different flyers team and we don't care what happened in the past. And, You're not playing the history game with us. Um, We're different. And so I think that's the magnitude of that game.
1: It it was so much fun going back over these two seasons, the 85 and the 87 season, and going on YouTube and watching different things and and rehashing memories and certain things. And I'll be honest with you, Dave, this I didn't know about until maybe about a few hours ago. And I can't believe I didn't know about it because it's remarkable. But two games later, game three at the Garden, Tim Kerr scores four straight goals in the second period on the night that you guys swept the Rangers. What what was it like watching him do that in person?
2: Well, I think that's still an NHL record. Actually, I don't know. Maybe somebody's tied it, but I think that's one of the one of three NHL records that Timmy Kerr still holds. And you know, the quiet confidence that he gave us—it was different from from. It was very, very different from our coach. The brash, sort of, you know um not arrogant but confident Mike Keenan and and the way he carried himself and and what he wanted to transmit to our team the way we'd swagger into a rink. And Timmy was very different. Timmy was the gentle giant and didn't get mad. You know, didn't show any emotion, didn't celebrate goals in a you know, very emotional way at all. And yet he was so consistent, such a rock for us and you know we didn't have the superstars other teams had i mean we have one hall of fame in that group and that's mark Howe. and kenny was a star and he and he was really getting to a different level of stardom and to do it in that fashion i think it was sort of a statement that we've got a guy that can win a hockey game by himself
1: the the islanders back then were considered from what I could tell is, is the Empire as a team that obviously had won a lot of cups in a row prior to, to that season. You face them in the next round after after beating the Rangers, five straight cup final appearances for the Islanders. Mike Keenan said after that series is that when, when you play a heavyweight, you have to knock them out. There's no decisions. And you guys beat them in five games. Um, how much of a statement was dominating that team in a in a what well, ended up being a five game series of four four games to one. How much of a statement was that to knock them off?
2: Arguably two different ways. It it wasn't only a statement to the rest of the league because the playoffs are strange. You're playing on alternating nights from the other division usually, and you know so half of the playoff teams are watching you. And I think it, it's twofold. It's one you've made a statement to the rest of the league like holy smokes this isn't just a flyers team that beat the rangers in the first round you know they just beat a team with Dennis Podvan and Billy Smith and and Mike Bossy and Brian Trache and Brent Sutter and the superstars that they had on that team and the the handful of rings that they had you know still a team that had won 19 playoff series in a row which is a, a record that i don't believe will ever be challenged and so I think that, you know, that that's twofold. Not only was it in the locker room, but it was outside the locker room where the buzz really started to grow with that playoff series. And the amount of confidence it gave us, once again, riding Pelly Lindbergh through that series just made us feel like we could
1: keep going. And, and then you moved on to face the Nordiques in the conference finals. Um, you're battling injured ribs at that point, which it seems like from from what I was, you know, watching as I prepared for these interviews. It seems like you were battling injured ribs almost all the time, but you you had injured ribs at this point in in 85. Game six at the Spectrum, you play despite your injuries. May 16th, 1985 in South Philly, game six against the Nordiques after splitting the first four, having that game five comeback with those two goals in the third period, and then you're here at game six, and you're winning, and you're on a five-on-three PK, and Dave, you know this, this this is still one of the defining moments in Flyers history that will always stick in, in in fans' minds. It's your shorthanded goal. What do you remember about that play? Take me through that entire moment that led to you scoring.
2: And it's the goal I get asked about the most by far, and the one certainly Flyers fans of that generation really identify it with fit because it, it really was the catapult to put us into the Stanley Cup Finals. And I believe that's the significance of it of the timing of the goal. And, you know, to backtrack, it was game two of that series that I broke ribs on a shorthanded goal for Murray Craven and on the actual play. It was cross-checked by Mario Marowal. So I broke two ribs, and we won game two. I believe we won game three and then lost game four. So the big comeback in game five, it put us, you know, we didn't have home ice, but it put us on a platform to move forward to the Stanley Cup Finals. And it was one nothing at that point in the second period. And We kept we kept drawing them down lower and lower into our zone, the top end of the box. And Peter Stasny and Mario Marowal were at the top end of the box. And so when the pass was made across, I just jumped the pass. And, you know, I, I had Mark Howell and Doug Crossman on the ice with me, I believe, and I know how he was because it's a goal celebration Um, that I have a great picture of. And, you know, I popped out, picked off the path, but literally at the top of our circles. And so it was on the forehand and I picked it off and I knew Stasny was further over to my left and I knew no one was going to catch me. But that's an awful long way to go. (laughs) It's a long way to think. And so as I crossed our own blue line and then out into center ice, you know, I knew no one was going to catch me and I started thinking about uh, Mario Goslin and Nat, who we had tried to challenge his glove hand throughout that series and had scored some goals over his glove. And so basically from the blue line in, I was trying to set up a shot to be able to go top glove and kept my speed up throughout and was able to put it right up under the crossbar and circling into that corner. You know, I had a breakaway by such a wide margin, and obviously my defenseman, aren't keeping right up with me. And there was no one in there was, I have a picture where there's no one in the picture. There's Mario Gosselin and there's me. And, and then you can see Mark Howe come in and at the start of the celebration with Mark Howe and Doug Crossman. And, and it made it to nothing. And really, I think put the stamp on, on the series and going to the finals. I believe Crossman scored in the third period. And it was a three nothing final. Lindbergh was tremendous, which we expected. But the magnitude of the goal, two men short, is one thing. But I think what stays with people about the goal is that we are going to the Stanley Cup final. A-
1: absolutely, and a- and as you said, Dave, Ed, that's a that's a long time to think before you finally get off that shot. And there's a lot of open ice. What well, I-, I guess I'm wondering if I'm wording this correctly. Not distracting per se, but. How much do you have to focus in a moment like that? Cuz I'm sure as you know the crowd is 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 ramping up its energy as they see you on the breakaway. How much do you have to focus at that point to to not let the surrounding noise and atmosphere get into your head or do you use that to your advantage?
2: Oh, you're in an absolute vacuum at that point, Dave. I mean, for me, you know, the focus was on the far end of the rink and you, you know, my first thought was i got a ways to go here. And after that, the moment takes over. You know, you don't see the crowd, hear the crowd. I mean, you're focused on Gosselin. And you've got a quick look over the left shoulder to see where Stasny was. You know that Marois is not going to catch you from the right. And so you're just maintaining and going. But, you know, there could have been one person. There could have been 100,000 people in the crowd that night. And at, from the point that I touched the puck, it makes absolutely no difference to me. And a funny story in future or further years, Dave, is that uh I'm recruiting a young player from St. Louis to come to the University of Notre Dame when I was the head coach there. And so the first time I meet with the family, the dad is Peter Stasny. <laughs> and his son Jan played for me at Notre Dame. And Peter and I developed a nice friendship over the next period of years and uh and saw each other fairly recently in a in a uh a symposium at Notre Dame where he now sits on a board. And so it's kind of funny how, you know, the round world evolves. And all I could think about when I met him for the first time is, you know, one of the highlights of my life was probably one of the lowlights of his professional life.
1: It's certainly a small world. And, and like you said, it's the goal that you probably get asked about the most. Dave, it's been it's been 35 years since that iconic goal. How often do you think, and not necessarily even just getting asked about it, but how often do you think 35 years later that, that just comes up in conversations, that legendary shorthanded breakaway by you?
2: It's pretty interesting. I've got a daughter that lives in, in Philly now. And so um, all three of my daughters were born in the area. But one of them is back and, and works at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and you know, is recently married in the last couple of years. But even, you know, using her last name, she'd be surprised that people would ask her, you know, if she was related. And and you know, because they were very young when I played, and they're not thinking that thirty years later somebody's going to remember their dad. But how they immediately ask about the goal, or they say, you know, one of the highlights of their childhood was the goal. So it's pretty cool for me. I get back to the Philly area much more now than I did, you know, when I was um, working in management or coaching and particularly with her there, with Lindsay there. And so I get back quite often. So it comes up now more. And in the 50th anniversary of expansion, I think I was back seven times or eight times for the Flyers that year. And that was the topic. If, if someone was coming up from that generation, of fans or when I play in the flyers golf tournament, if there's someone there from that generation of fans, you know, particularly maybe a teenage hockey player at that time, that's what he remembers.
1: That's former Flyers Captain Dave Poulin on that iconic goal. Here's former Flyers defenseman and current Flyers Alumni Association President Brad Marsh about that same moment as well as everything in the 84-85 season. I am very pleased to be joined by former Flyers defenseman Brad Marsh, number 8 in your program, Flyer from 1981 to 1988. Brad, thank you so much for joining us to talk about these really special moments in Flyers history. Before we talk about about the specific dates. Let's start with all the stories leading up to these really special moments. So let's let's start in '85. Leading into the '85 season, first year without Bobby Clark, Mike Keenan's first season, ten guys under 22 years old. You're coming off three straight postseason series losses, two of them were sweeps, and you hadn't won a playoff game since '82. All of this change. What were the expectations going into '85?
3: A lot of question marks uh no one really knew what to expect you're right uh bobby clark had just retired the face of the flyers for so many years he retired to become uh general manager and uh he was still one of our top players if you look at the stats from the previous years leading into his retirement and uh so i don't want to say it was uh bit of a head scratcher or a surprise but it was and uh um but anyway so a big step big decision for clarkey and uh, you know he took over the reins and uh he took over the reins and did what he did best he built the team how he wanted the team uh to be in his his view or his uh way he saw things, the way he played the game, and uh, he went to work uh, right away. And his first thing that he did is he hired uh, a virtually unknown coach by the name of Mike Keenan, and that also surprised a lot of players, uh, or a lot of people, I should say, including the players. And uh, so, you know, like I said, there's a, a lot of question marks going into the season, and uh, for the Flyer fans that remember the details, uh, one of the first things Clarkie did was uh, he traded Daryl Sittler, who once again was an older player, but one of the leaders on the team, he traded Daryl Sittler to the Detroit Red Wings for one of those young guys you were talking about, Murray Craven, who went on to be a big part of uh, the Flyers' success in many years to
1: come. In terms of the mid-'80s, Brad, I feel like a lot of people – remember that 87 playoff run, especially the cup finals against the Oilers. But when looking back at that 85 here, you guys were dominant. You had 113 points, which is still some of the most in Flyers history for a single season. Pally Lindbergh had 40 wins and was sensational. You had the most wins and points in the league. You were dominant at the spectrum, and you won 16 of your last 17 regular season games. Why did everything click so well for this young team? Well,
3: um... You mentioned, you know, Pelley Lindbergh. He had an unbelievable season that year. Uh, He was our best player. He was the Vezina Trophy winner that year. And uh, when you have a goalie that stops the puck, it gives the team confidence. And uh, it gives the team uh, confidence in, in a way that they begin to believe that they're invincible and they can win any game that they're playing. And, uh, You know, because hockey is a game of mistakes. And, you know, when you make a mistake and if that mistake, you know, uh, results in a goal and results in, you know, you digging the puck out of your net, you know, then the confidence is shaken. And we're a young team, as you said. And so as a young team, if our confidence was shaken uh, game after game after game, pretty soon we don't play with the same dim and vigor and we're squeezing our sticks and we're playing, uh you know, a different style of hockey. Um, But Pelly stopped the puck. We won a lot of games that perhaps we shouldn't have won, especially early in the year.
1: And we just,
3: as the season went on and we just thought we were unbeatable, invincible, et cetera, et cetera. And so, a lot of the success uh, rests with Pelly that first year in uh, eighty four eighty five.
1: You're playing right in front of him, so you have a better perspective probably than most players. What made Pelly so special?
3: Well, you know he was he was just a, a regular guy, regular kid. We've all heard stories. You know, or, you know quarterbacks are different in football, and the pitchers are different in, in baseball, and the goalies are different in hockey, but. You know, it wasn't the case with uh it wasn't the case with, with Pelly. He was just one of the guys, loved to come to the rink, loved to practice, loved to play the game, loved to stop pucks. And uh happy go lucky. If he let in a bad goal, he didn't fret on it, didn't worry about it. No problem guys, don't worry, I'll stop the next one. It was just, you know, his his his, uh, his attitude that was infectious in the dressing room.
1: That first playoff series, Brad, is is against the Rangers. Um, and and as I said before, you're coming off of multiple seasons where you you, ha- you didn't have success in that first playoff series, and and a couple of them were against New York. That game one at the Spectrum, it goes to overtime, and Mark Howe gets the game winner. Considering the past struggles against New York, how important was it to take that first game?
3: Regardless of any playoff series in any sport, uh, Game 1 is always important. I don't know what the stats are for teams that go on to win that particular series when they win Game 1, but it's, it's it's huge simply because it sets the tone for the rest of the series, especially when you're playing at home. Me as a player, I always loved opening the playoffs on the road, which didn't happen a lot because we were we were good teams and we always had more points than the first-round opponent. But when you're playing at home, especially with our past history of, of uh, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word failure, of not winning uh, in the first round of playoffs, there's a lot of pressure on us. Um, I don't know how many points ahead of them, or 40 or 50 points ahead of, uh, of the Rangers we were in the regular season. So a lot of pressure. So... That overtime win, um, once again, set the table for us and gave us a lot of
1: confidence moving forward. You sweep the Rangers, you move on to the next round to face the Islanders, the mighty Islanders, the Empire as they called them, and you beat them handily. Four four games to one, you beat them in five games, and after the series, Mike Keenan says, when you play a heavyweight, you have to knock them out. There's no decisions. How was Keenan able to take that message and instill it in you guys to do what you did that series against the Islanders?
3: I think you have to go back to Mike Keenan from day one in training camp of that season. He set the tone. So, you know, when you know he makes statements like that, it was no different than the statement that he was delivering right from day one uh, in the work ethic, and the attitude, uh, and the determination that he brought uh, to a young Flyers team right in training camp, and uh, Mike's message was always constant, and uh, he made a lot of players, including myself, better, Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that was Mike, and he demanded um, that knockout punch that, you know, that he, he was talking to or referring to, he demanded it Every day, whether it's practice or a game,
1: conference finals against the Nordiques. You guys split the first four with Quebec. Um Again, uncharted territory. Only prop had been that far in terms in the playoffs. With that, you guys had that really young team, and on top of that, you guys are, are 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 banged up. Tim Kerr was injured. Brad McCrimmon was injured. Dave Poulin had injured ribs. In game five, you fall behind one zip but you win 2-1 with two huge goals in the third period. And in what way did that game five win define that 85 team?
3: Well, it goes back to what I said initially, though. Like we thought we were invincible and we could win every game and there was no quit. There was no give up in, in anybody. And, uh, you know, we just had the feeling, Hey boys, uh, we're not done. And, uh, um, so I just remembered it as being such a, an exciting time. And, uh, couldn't wait for the next game, couldn't wait for the puck to be dropped, and uh, um, and we just we just took everything in stride. We lost the game, no big deal, we'll get them next game. Oh, we won this game, no big deal, we're going to win the next game, and so on and so on and so on. We just took everything in stride, in stride. and to a man we couldn't wait to the next game because we were just so excited at what was happening
1: and the, and the next game is one that is a date that I want to highlight Brad May 16th 1985 the Spectrum Game 6 of, of the Wales Championship fin- Wales Conference Finals chance to go to the Cup the defining play of that game and you know what it is it's the one that sticks out and is still very iconic in Flyers history Dave Poulin shorthanded goal on the 5-on-3 PK what stands out to you about that moment he scored. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's it's such a goal, and, and you think back on it, and, you know, you see the highlights of it. And, I, you know, I often think, like, what the hell was the left defenseman thinking when he just blindly passed the puck to his D partner? Like, did he not see... I mean, great play by Cooley, anticipating it, and so on and so on, but... Um, I'm sure that uh, – and I can't – his name escapes me right now. It might have been Mario Marowat. I'm not sure. But anyhow, uh, what was that defenseman thinking, and how many times has he had to relive the moment? Of course, it didn't cost them a Stanley Cup, like the Billy Buckner first first base uh, blunder in the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. But uh, huge mistake, and like Pooley's been at the top penalty killer uh that season but he went on to be one of the top penalty killers in NHL history um just just a a great great moment in Flyers history
1: how did it feel how special was it to to go to the cup that year with how successful that team was
3: uh well once again like okay we beat them to the Nordiques let's bring on the Oilers we're ready for them and uh you know we once it was just the next game the next step and bring them on and uh Like you said, we're all in uncharted territories, and we were loving and eating up every moment of it.
1: I hope you enjoyed my chats with Dave Poulin and Brad Marsh about Poulin's shorthanded breakaway goal in 1985. Stay tuned for May 28th. Dave and Brad are going to share their memories about J.J. Daniels' legendary Game 6 goal against the Oilers in the 87 Cup Final. For now, thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe. How powerful is Cox Internet?